Hi, this is a production of Community Covenant Church in Eagle River, Alaska, where our mission is to bring Christ's hope, healing, and wholeness to our community and to our world. Our service times are 9 and 11 each Sunday morning. Find out more at www.communitycovenant.net. So the scripture this morning is from Matthew chapter 6, verses 1 through 8 and 16 through 18. Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be honored by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, They have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. When you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show others they are fasting. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face so that you, it will not be obvious to others that you are fasting, but only to your Father who is unseen and your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. The word of the Lord endures forever. Hey, David, you kind of mentioned it already, but many of you already know uh, Pastor Doms. And uh, David, he's been a long-time part of our congregation, but you left for a while. And pastored up at Lazy Mountain Bible Church, but uh, he's been part of the covenant for uh, uh, twenty-eight years. Long time, yeah. so it's good to have you back. Were you going to pray, or could I pray for you oh, real quick? As you, you could, yeah, that'd be great. Lord, thank you for David. Thank you for uh, his passion for you and the opportunity he now has to bring your word to us. I pray you bless him, and through him bless us. Open our hearts to receive. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Good morning. Good to be with you this morning. I actually realized that I've uh, been a covenant pastor longer than that. And in Dallas also, I had a chance to work with a church there and uh, implant a church there. So it's just a, just, it's been a blessing to serve together with you. And Lori and I, have, uh, uh, I retired in um, September of 2016. And, you know, I told my wife at the time, I said, uh, hey, Laura, you've always got to go to the church where I've been serving as pastor. You pick the church this time. And she said, no, 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 we'll do it together. I said, no, 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 
you know, how about if you pick? And uh, so we have some wonderful churches. We live in Palmer, uh, in the, uh, just near Palmer High School. And uh, we had come to um, this church uh, 16 years ago while I was transitioning between pastoring. I was, uh, I was Mr. Mom for two years, and we came and uh, were here with you. And that was just uh, a great time. Well, um, I want to begin with this thought and to ask you this question. Have you ever thought what your reward in heaven will look like? What your reward in heaven will look like? Now, you might think, uh, well, you know, I'm too humble. I don't really want to think about that, you know. I mean, come on. But Jesus, in the passage that Bruce just read for us, said, well, no, that's, I want you to think about that. I want you to think about that frequently because as you are thinking about that, it will guide your day. It will guide your choices. It will guide your way. Here's why. And I just remembered I uh, forgot that clicker. So can you click on for me? Um, Thanks. He says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. We just say those words with me together. We say them out loud. Can we put them in the room through our voices? Let's go. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. You know, what Jesus says is this. What he's saying with that verse is, um, what the heart desires directs your life. What the heart desires directs your life. So let's just put that for a test, to the test for just a minute. Think about it. If your heart desires money, what's going to run your life? Money. If your heart desires security, what's going to rule your life? If your heart desires sex, what's going to rule your life? If your heart desires and fears pain, what's going to rule your life? Stay out of pain. If your heart desires praise, What will guide your life? Now, you think that one sounds a little bit soft compared to some of the other ones that I mentioned. But what you're going to see in this text, right here in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus addresses that heart's desire. If my heart desires praise. In fact, we're going to see in this sermon, he spends more than 10% of the whole Sermon on the Mount just addressing that heart desire. At first glance, that doesn't seem, well, that doesn't seem like as important a principle to address. But I find when Jesus thinks it's important, it needs to be important to me. The importance that Jesus places on it really gets us thinking about this question. Whose applause am I living for? Whose applause is driving me? Let me read it to you again here in the ESV. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For for then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly, I say, they have received the reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving 
may be in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. So here's the question this morning. Are you aware of whom your audience is? Do you have a daily awareness of whom your audience is? Jesus starts right here in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount. And remember, he's just began his ministry. This is early on in his ministry. In fact, he's had John the Baptist has been baptized. Jesus has been baptized by John the Baptist. And, and he's gone. And John the Baptist is now arrested. And Jesus is kind of in that northern area. And there's people coming from Syria, Damascus, all over because he's healed people. And now he gathers them together on top of this mount and he teaches them. And this is the greatest sermon ever preached. And what's important for us is if Jesus spends 10%, actually more than that, of the Sermon on the Mount getting us to think about whose applause are we living for, it's important for us to think about it. Jesus is saying, make sure your audience is my father. Look at the first verse here, verse here, word here in your Bibles in chapter 6. It's this English word, beware, which we instantly know means be aware. Be wary of what it is you're thinking about. Aware of what, then, Jesus says. Well, in Jesus' day, in Jesus' day, everything about being one of God's chosen of being a Hebrew, of being recognized as a daughter or son of Abraham, was about being seen to build a resume. You got that? Their whole goal is to build a resume of righteousness. That was the thing in that culture. I need to be seen building my resume of righteousness. And in those days... The three main <laughs> points of your resume needed to have these things. Almsgiving or giving to the poor. Almsgiving was number one. Praying was number two. And fasting was number three. Giving, praying, fasting. Now that is hard for us to grasp. I mean, those, those are, certainly aren't major points on our resume in this culture, right? Giving to the poor, praying, and fasting. Don't even kind of make the top ten in our culture. Because that's not what makes a person recognized, famous, or powerful in our culture. In our culture, where does fame or power or security come from? May I put forward three things? You can see if you agree with them. Beauty. Fame. And fortune, right? Beauty, fame, and fortune is where we get our sense of power and presence and security. And then maybe, after you have beauty, fame, and fortune, being attractive is so key in our culture. Being recognized, so important in our culture. And being rich, so important in our culture. And then maybe after you're rich, you'll name a foundation after yourself and give a little in order to be recognized. Now, if you knew me better, you would know I absolutely love music. 
I'm the guy from the 70s who had the stereo in the dorm room. And I've actually now later in life been able to kind of build my dream stereo system in my house. Got big speakers, got a beautiful amp. You know, it's what I love. So it makes sense that when they started doing that show called The Voice, I would kind of be drawn to it, you know, because that's all about singing and everything. And I watched it for many years. But as I watched it, I became more and more disturbed. Because the stars on the show, the judges' panel, were pulling and baiting the heartstrings of the contestants. And what they were pulling them with, what they were baiting them with, were those three things. The judges in this show, the stars, are icons of beauty, fame, and fortune. And their message to the contestants were, If you sing beautifully, then you, like me, will have fame and fortune. And they had contestants as young as 15 years of age on that show. And you could just see their eyes light up when those coaches gave them that bait. But what was never spoken in the show is this first word of Jesus. Beware. Be wary of who your audience is, the audience you want. Today's text is all about a choice that Jesus gives you and I, his listeners. And the choice is yours. He lets us pick. It's the freedom we have in Christ. Who is going to be your audience. Who are you going to pick to be your audience? The good news is, and I think the reason why Jesus puts it right in the center of his sermon, is this. He wants to save you and I the pain and the purposelessness of living for beauty, fame, and fortune. He wants to save us from having a life that revolves around those in our cultures and their corollaries, health, wealth, and independence, right? Basing our value on our attractiveness, our wealth, and our recognition. But Jesus says, my followers, my friends, those are not your audience. Your heavenly Father is. Choose Him. Choose The recognition of God our Father. That's why he says, have you thought about what your reward in heaven might be? So let's first, before we get to beauty, fame, and fortune in our own culture, let's go to the cultural resume of that time, which Jesus addresses. The first one is almsgiving, okay? Almsgiving. This is how not to give, all right? How not to give. Now, the most important thing to have on your resume in Jesus' day was to be known as a person who gives alms or gives to the poor. It was visible recognition that you had made it, that you had some wealth, that God had given you the wealth. Every Hebrew thought of, if I'm wealthy, God is blessing me because I'm good, so now I will give some of that blessing that he's given me away to others. And that brought you fame in that day. 
To the Hebrew, almsgiving was the most sacred of religious duties. Okay? How sacred it may be is found from the two words they use for almsgiving and righteousness. You know what the word is? It's the same word. Tzedakah. The same word. That's how important it was to a Hebrew. Righteousness and almsgiving referred to as the same word. In fact, there was a rabbinic saying of that time that went like this. Greater is he who gives alms than he who offers all sacrifices. Think about that. It was the sacrifices in the temple that secured their freedom from sin. And this rabbi is saying, but what's even more important is that you be seen to be a person who gives to the under-resourced. Almsgiving stood first in the catalog of good works. Almsgiving needed to be top of your resume. That's what you wanted to be known for. If they want to be known for singing in the voice, in Hebrew terms, you want to be known for giving to the under-resourced. That's what you wanted. But anything like that can be turned into a show. And here, as Jesus addresses the Sermon on the Mount, they would all know exactly what he was talking about. Just one reason, just one example, is from a historian, J.J. Wetstein. He quotes an Eastern custom of the day. Now, you know, in that part, northern eastern Israel, there's, it, water is scarcer. So what the almsgiver, to put on his resume, would do is he would call out to the water carrier in a good voice when he wanted to do good act, See, there, was, there were these water carriers that would come and they'd fill their skins with water and bring them to the market. He'd call out to the water character, give the thirsty a drink. And the water carrier would dutifully go off, fill his, um, his skin with water, come back to the market. And then the water carrier was trained to say this, oh, thirsty ones, come and drink the offering. And there's the water carrier and here's the almsgiver. And as the, as the thirsty were coming to get a free drink of water, he would, the almsgiver would say, bless me, bless my family. So all the hearers of this sermon would be thinking of examples like that. And here would be this young rabbi, Jesus, saying that's not how you want to be. And they'd go, what? No, that, that's number one in our culture. Our, our rabbis even teach us this. This is what you do. And Jesus is saying, no. You don't do it for that audience. Whatever you do, you do in secret for an audience of one. Here's the point for us in our culture. When we give to the needy, who is our audience? Jesus says if you only have an audience of one, our heavenly Father, he will reward us in heaven. Let's look at verse 5 now. Jesus turns now to that second resume point, how to pray. And he says, And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites. For they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Remember that part. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward in full. They have received their, their reward. But when you pray... Go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. 
and your Father who does in secret will reward you. You know, I just have to be honest. I'm not preaching this sermon because this is where I am. I am preaching this sermon because this is where I need to go. Like this morning, you know, one of my dear brothers, Ken, is on the prayer team this morning. And I came back and was a little, the worship team was practicing. And I go, got to find Ken. Got to find Ken. Got to go to the prayer room and pray with Ken. And I thought, wait a second, Dave. No. You can go to that prayer room. You can close the door. And you can pray to the one who is unseen. I thought, Dave, you've been working on this sermon all week? And you couldn't remember that? So I'm not praying for the, preaching this because this is easy for me and I got it all figured out. I'm preaching this sermon for me as much as you because this is where I need to go. This is where I need to grow. And it was beautiful. Close the door. And it, I'm not saying it's awesome to pray with our prayer team. He's not limiting us from that. But I just noticed in my heart what was going on. And what I most needed at that moment was to close the door and pray in secret. Well, so how not to pray? The Jewish system of prayer made being, praying being an ostentatious way very easy because the Jew prayed standing with his hands open and his head down. And the Jew prayed at 9 a.m., 12 p.m., 3 p.m. And it was very easy to put it on the resume to just make sure you were in a place to be seen at those times. So at 8.59, as you're mounting the steps of the synagogue, oop, didn't quite make it into the synagogue, I'll have to pray here on top of the stairs. And there you would raise your hand and lower lower your voice, lower your head, and raise your voice and pray and get that prayer on the resume. And rather than an intimate, personal conversation with God, prayers had become formalized and verbose in those days, an act to be seen by men. And everybody listening to this sermon would know exactly what Jesus is talking about right now, because they'd seen it. People would station themselves in the marketplace. It's 3 p.m. Oh, time for prayer. Time to be holy. And so then they would use lots of words. One prayer actually begins, pressed, praised, glorified, honored, exalted, extolled, magnified, lauded in the name of the Holy One. And there was kind of an intoxication with words. And you know, people catch that. There was a little girl, Donna, and her daddy was a pastor. She was three. And she must have caught it. Because she loved to be asked to pray at dinner time. And she'd get a little caught up in the words and sometimes even more caught up. And daddy would have to break in and say, Amen. That's enough, Donna. And then one Sunday, the pastor was up. Her daddy. And he was giving a long benediction. And then the congregation heard from little Donna and the congregation... Amen, that's enough, Daddy. (laughs) See, when a person begins to think more of how they are praying than of whom and what he is praying, their prayer dies right here, Jesus says, right in their lips. Jesus says there's a better way to pray. 
to the one unseen in heaven who sees and hears an audience of one. He will hear our prayer and reward us. Almsgiving, prayer, and now Jesus turns to the third resume item of righteousness in that day, fasting. Let's look at verse 16 of chapter 6. And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head, wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Are you starting to see a pattern here? Jesus is saying, here's the good news. Here's the gospel news. You get to pick your audience. But choose wisely. If your audience is here, that's where your reward is. If your audience is here, that's where your reward is. Don't perform for others. Live as if you have an audience of one. Then I will reward you from heaven. So his, his listeners were probably on their seats about now because just before this, he's taught them how to pray, a very simple prayer called the Lord's Prayer. But now he's going to teach them about fasting. And the final fault that Jesus found with fasting in his day was that they were fasting to be seen. Jesus was not condemning fasting. I mean, earlier here in Matthew, he had gone out 40 days and fasted. What he's, not con- he's not condemning fasting, but he is condemning fasting used as an ostentatious parade of piety to put it on the resume of righteousness. Now, Jewish days of fasting were Monday and Thursday. Now get this, that just happened to correspond exactly with the Jewish market days. Jewish market days, people came from all over the countryside to to bring their wares to market. So everybody hearing this sermon would know that. They go fasting days, Monday, Tuesday, market days, uh, Monday, Thursday, market days, Monday, Thursday. So guess what Jesus is addressing here? What would happen is people would put on their makeup. They literally, historians said, would whiten their faces so they looked pale. They would dishevel their hair, throw their coats off, and they'd walk through the market fasting to be seen by men for their piousness. And as Jesus speaks these words, that's the image everyone listening has seen so clearly. They know exactly of what he speaks. It was no act of humility. It was a deliberate act of spiritual pride and ostentation to put it on the resume of righteousness of that day. Almsgiving, prayer, and fasting. Here's the point, Jesus says. When you give up something in order to focus on deepening your spirituality, your connection with God, who is your audience? 
Jesus says, if it's an audience of one, our Heavenly Father, He will reward us in heaven. Just this next Friday, I'm going to get the privilege to be sent by you uh, to serve at uh, Nana's house in Mexico for a week as a short-term missionary. So I was thinking about the kids we were going to serve and thinking about the culture there in Tepec, Mexico, and I go, you know, I bet, I bet they don't have these. I bet they don't have smartphones. So I decided I was going to, be, I was going to fast in October from my smartphone. You're already laughing because you know in today's culture, this thing owns us, we don't own it. So what did I do? I said, well, I've got to notify people that I won't have my phone because I'm going on this mission trip in Mexico where they don't have phones. So I sent an email to my kids. I said, kids, sorry, you won't be able to reach dad on his cell phone. You'll have to call the home phone. Then I sent my board members the same thing. I serve on a, on a uh, nonprofit board. I said, well, you'll just have to call the home phone. And then I put a message on my phone, a new message that said, hi, this is David Doms. I don't have my cell phone. You'll have to call my home phone. You're laughing, but I actually did this. Well, you can bet how long... I'm telling you, I'm preaching this sermon to myself. I need this stuff! So, it didn't last a day and a half. (laughs) My one month fast from the phone. And it's just a good example of when we fast, where's my reward? I didn't say to myself, I want my kids to think how righteous I am. But you know, as I wrote that email, if I look back to the real motive, there was some of that in there, wasn't there? There's no way to get around it. When I wrote my board and I sent them letters about going on this mission trip, I thought, you know, what was the message? Huh, hope you can become as dedicated and righteous a missionary as me someday. (laughs) You know, there was that in there. And I'm glad it crashed and burned because it needed to. One of the primary reasons that Jesus says this is, he doesn't want our reward to be on earth. He wants it to be in heaven. And how to do it in a way that places us in the eyes of our Father. You know, if you think about it, God our Father, he loves us. And we can just come to him. But Jesus is saying, live with him as an audience of one. So here in Matthew 6, 1 through 16, I'd like to read how this passage was translated by Eugene Peterson. He, probably, he was a pastor, and he just decided to translate the Old and New Testament into modern language. So he's, here's how he phrases it. See how it catches the spirit of Jesus' teaching. Be especially careful when you are trying to be good so that you don't make a performance out of it. It might be good theater, but the God who made you won't be applauding. Try this. When you do something for someone else, don't call attention to yourself. You've seen them in action, I'm sure, the play actors. And this word that Jesus used, hypocrites, was actually the Greek word for actor. I call them treating prayer meeting and street corner alike as a stage, acting compassionate as long as someone is watching, playing to the crowds. They get their applause. 
That's all they get. When you help someone out, don't think about how it looks. Just do it. Quietly, unobtrusively, even secretly. That is the way your God, who conceived you in love, working behind the scenes, helps you out. Did you catch it? Jesus gives us a way to check who our applause is from. If you're performing to be seen, it's a good, dead giveaway. You are not living for an audience of one. So how do we do this? How do we do this in today's culture? How do we live for an audience of one? Remember at the beginning I stated about the voice and what our cultural resume is? It's fame, it's fortune, it's beauty. If Jesus was preaching this sermon to us today, I think he might address those three. Beauty, fame, and fortune. I think he would address our resume for success. Because, you know, fasting, prayer, and almsgiving are not real high in this culture. But beauty, fame, and fortune, ooh, they're the holy trinity of our culture. What would Jesus say about pursuing beauty, for example, to feel safe and powerful? Well, here in 1 Peter chapter 3, verses, verse 4, he says this, But let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart, with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. You know, I doubt if that verse is the theme verse of the Alaska Club. Doubt if that's at Chukiak High School's workout room. I mean, we're working on our guns, right? We're working on our shape. Do you see the emphasis in this verse? The same that Jesus had in God's sight. That way we put a check in our desire to feel safe and powerful through beauty. He's saying, why don't it be beautiful for an audience of one? Think how that might change things. Think about, in Jesus' day, no one knew what they looked like. No one had mirrors, you know? We know from archaeology that there's a little bit, you know, they found a mirror or two in the very wealthy remains of very wealthy people's houses who had enough silver or gold to to shine it up to see themselves. But nobody in Jesus' audience was probably wealthy enough to have that. They heard this sermon without knowing what they looked like. Think about it. How would it be better for you to live for an audience of one if you didn't spend so much time looking at yourself and evaluating how you looked? How would it free you to be less concerned about how you appeared with others to others and more concerned about how you appear to God. Think about it. Doubt this mirror, man. 
I wouldn't even know I had gray hair. I wouldn't even know I had acne scars. You know? What if I began to believe that my appearance was for an audience of one? What if I began to believe that God happens to like Dave Doms in gray hair with acne scars? How would that change my resume in this culture? It's a new way to think about beauty and fame. Here's a challenge. I already told you my crash and burn with my phone. Just to make it an audience of one, could you go one day without one of these? Just one day. To let your power resume of beauty be for an audience of one rather than out here. See, in this sermon, Jesus says, you get to pick your audience. What do you choose? You get to pick. You get to pick. It's a new way to think about beauty. Well, what about fame? Beauty, fame, and fortune. Our recognition, our desire to be seen and be noticed. You know, it was at the pastor's conference. This, uh, we had a covenant pastors and leaders retreat in Big Lake. And one of the speakers was talking about what is one of the things that, that really distracts us from an intimate walk with God? And he asked us to just call out, these pastors and leaders. One of the first things mentioned was Facebook. Because it's constantly notifying us. Right? And you don't think they know that? You don't think they know that beauty, fame... Or recognition is pretty important to us? Well, he just reported just at the end of June, second quarter, 2018, live report to their stockholders, Facebook. We had 2.2 billion active monthly users this month. You know, when the stockholders go, they see money. They go click, click, click. They like that. And I happened to look at it, I said, well, 2.2 billion. I wonder how many active internet users there are in the world. Turns out that at the end of June, it was reported there were 4.2 billion active internet users. Facebook owns half of us. And what do we post on Facebook? Well, I think we conclude conclude that not only is beauty a power resume item, but being seen and noticed is. Here's one way to check to see if the need to be seen and noticed is big in your life. Today, you can do this secretly. You can do this kind of like this so no one actually sees you do it. You can go in the bathroom, close the door and do it. But go to the Photos app on your phone and just do a quick per- percentage. How many of the photos on your phone are you in? I have a great friend. Absolutely love her. Love going on vacation with her. She is a joy and wonder. But when you go on vacation with her, you stop everywhere. And you take a picture of her on her phone 
where we are. Fame, recognition. What if we started living not for recognition by the world we live in, but by recognition by the God we serve? And, you know, I had to think about this. I go, you know, i got to go look at my Facebook. I meant my Facebook mostly contains pictures of me. Dave, you've got some work to do here if you're going to live for an audience of one. What if we started not living, not for the recognition and notice by the world we live in, but rather by the God we love? What if our safety and significance and security was in him rather than what's in here, what's on here, or what's in here? Would these be three resume items Jesus would address with us? Beauty, fame, and fortune? What do we do with the fortune piece? What do we do with our money? Well, Jesus says this in Matthew chapter 6, 19 through 21. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But rather, lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Where neither moth nor rust destroys, nor where the thieves do not break in and steal. And where, where your treasure is, there your heart will also be, will, will be also. You know, when I read that, I look back to my life. And again, I'm preaching the sermon live that I need to learn. I go, wow, I have spent a lot of the last 30 years making sure my 401k and my pension was fully funded. But have I spent, have I invested as much in making sure my reward in heaven is fully funded? Jesus is saying, hey, if you want to find your heart, you know, everybody in the world is looking for their heart, right? Where's my heart? He says, just look at your treasure, look to your audience. Your audience owns your heart. Ooh. Whose do I want to own my heart? Right? My Heavenly Father. So, I was talking to Janelle about this, and I've actually never watched the show. Now, I know I'm culturally whatever. But I said, Janelle, you know what I'm going to encourage us to do? is fire ourselves as our audience. So I'm going to suggest that we use these three words. You're fired. Okay? Should you know that's from a show? I said, yeah, I've heard that, but I've never watched the show, so I'm going to use it anyway. So raise your right hand and make a pointer. Three fingers facing backwards, and let's say it together. And we're talking to our audience. You're fired. Now notice what's pointing backwards here. Three fingers. Jesus is saying, fire yourself as your audience. And instead, serve an audience of one. Well, I I made a little helper here for you. If you'll take this out. And I want to thank Sherry so much for all the time you put into this. And what a great way to glue this on and tape it in. But if you'll take this out, an audience of one, 
from your communicator, and you have two little stickers there, okay? Two little stickers there. And my hope is this. It might help me. Just a little reminder of Jesus' words. So you can put it where you might want to see it discreetly. Maybe the Holy Spirit identified something for you today going, wow, I have a, an audience of me, and they're in my mirror. Maybe you just want to stick that audience of one on your mirror. Maybe you look at it and you go, wow, you know, I have an audience of me. It's my Facebook. Maybe you want to stick this little sticker on your phone or your computer, wherever you do Facebook. Or maybe you go, you know, I have an audience of me and my security, my heart, my money owns my heart. Maybe you just want to put that, stick that on your credit card or your license. Wherever you feel the need, the most work needs to be done to choose your audience well. I wanted to give that to you as just a little helper. When our culture rushes in and says, what really matters is beauty, fame, and fortune, we can say, nope, not to me. What matters to me is living for an audience of one. Amen.